It's 4 o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is a show where we are taking your calls and your texts. You can call and get prayer over the air and as well as asking your Bible questions. Uh, my name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm filling in today. It is uh, election day, or it's uh, inauguration day. It's Friday. The number to call with your questions is 303-690-3000. And the number to text in your questions is 720-336-0897. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I've hosted the show a few times. I have a show here on Grace FM. It airs every day at 2.30 p.m. It's called Life in the Field, and I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is in Longmont. And so I've been the pastor there for uh, coming up on five years now. I moved uh, here to Colorado. I grew up here in Colorado, and then I, I moved away. I was a missionary in Eastern Europe in Hungary for over 10 years and uh, took an invitation, accepted an invitation to come back to Colorado and become the lead pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, which is a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church. So every uh, weekday we're here um, on Grace FM at 2.30, and always welcome you to listen to that. Um, just a little bit more about our church. We meet in downtown Longmont. For those of you in the area, we would love it if you would come and visit us and come and say hi. You can also visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in um, Roosevelt Park area. If you know Longmont, it's right downtown. It's kind of the city park uh, we meet at 700 Longspeak Avenue, which is the St. Vrain Memorial Building. And on Sunday mornings right now, we're studying verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the book of Exodus, which has just been an amazing study. I, I knew that Exodus would be a great study. I've taught through it before at a previous church I was at, but um, I've just been amazed this time going through Exodus, particularly how many pictures there are about, um, about Jesus in the Old Testament. And so um, I had a few thoughts for you guys on the inauguration, but we our lines are already filling up, so I'm going to go ahead and take some of these questions. We're going to start with uh, Molly on line two. Molly, are you there? Yeah, hi. Hi, Molly. Um, so my question uh, is some somewhere in the Bible or some places, I think it says, like, being at the right hand of God. And, um, like, there are some names uh, that mean that, um, like Benjamin, I think. So I was just wondering if that there's any significance to that or, like, what that meant. Yeah, okay, so, you know, several times in the Bible we're told that Jesus was taken up, he was ascended into heaven. So after his resurrection, then, you know, he was with his disciples for... Um, for 50 days, well, 40 days, right? It was 40 days, and then the 50th day, of course, being Pentecost, 50, Pentecost meaning 50. So for 40 days, Jesus was with his disciples on earth after his resurrection, and then it, he ascended into heaven. And, um, you know, all the old creeds are, are using this term that where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And where that's coming from, I'll give you an example. Mark chapter 16, verse 19 says this. It says, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So if you're asking what that refers to, the right hand position, 
Uh, it refers to a place of authority. It refers to a place of prominence, preeminence. Um, you know, the right hand being the hand of power. And so it speaks of Jesus being in that most exalted place. You might remember that two of Jesus' disciples had asked if they could be seated. In fact, in one place it says that their mom even came, which is kind of kind of embarrassing a little bit if you're those guys, that their mom had to come in and ask Jesus. And what she said was, you know, Jesus, here's what I want for my kids. I want them to sit on your right hand and your left hand. And she's kind of like, you know, I'll let you decide which one gets to be on the right hand because that's the place of preeminence. It's the place of uh, honor, highest honor. And Jesus said, you know, that's really not uh, for you to worry about. I'm going to worry about who sits where in uh, heaven. So all that to say, it it really is just about um, honor. It's about preeminence. It speaks of power. You know, and this is, this is, um, Clearly a, a cultural thing that uh, goes back to ancient cultures, but I think we can even, it's not too hard to comprehend even in our own time that there would be such a place, a place of honor. So um, as for your question about Benjamin, you know, it says in Genesis, or, yeah, the Genesis, it says that Benjamin was born and his name means son of my right hand. You know, I was just actually, uh, one of my favorite things I've been doing personally lately is I've been uh, reading the Bible to my kids at our dinner table, and we've been reading through the book of Genesis. And so we just read about Benjamin really recently. And, you know, the story with Benjamin is that Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, he's the grandson of Abraham, and that Jacob uh, fell in love with this girl named Rachel, right? And so mm-hmm. Rachel... Um, you know, he wanted to marry Rachel. So he asked Rachel's dad, whose name was Laban, hey, what do I got to do to earn your daughter? And he said, well, you got to work for me for seven years. And so it says that Jacob worked for Laban, his father-in-law for seven years. And then Laban gave him his wife in marriage. But then when he got married, he found out that Laban had pulled a fast one on him because the women would wear veils. And so he woke up the next day to realize he had actually married her ugly older sister, whose name was Leah. Long story short, uh, Leah, he, he also ends up marrying Rachel. So now he's got two wives and they start, you know, trying to have kids. And although he loves Rachel, Leah is able to have a lot of kids, which was, you know, considered a great thing in those days and a very important thing in that society. So Leah's having all these kids. She ends up having 10 kids, 10 sons. And, uh, Rachel's only able to have two sons and, uh, you know, and it takes her much longer to actually have the children. So anyway, she has the two children, and their names are Joseph and Benjamin. And it says very clearly in the text that uh, that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, and he loved Joseph and Benjamin more than he loved his other kids. And if you follow the whole story down to the end of the book of Genesis, that ends up causing a lot of problems. In fact, if you look at their family line, uh, you know, Jacob and his brother Esau, the real problem in their family had been that um, that their parents showed favoritism. You know, the father loved Esau more and the mother loved Jacob more. And then they carry that on and Jacob carries that on with his own children. He shows favoritism and then it shows how destructive that favoritism becomes because he has these two favorite kids. And you can even see it in their names, right? Like Benjamin, son of my right hand, the youngest son. And uh, he gives him the place of prominence. And it's because um, Jacob favors Joseph more than any of his other kids that Joseph ends up getting 
sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And, and of course, God redeems the whole situation. In that, we see God's greatness and his goodness. But all that to say, favoring your kids is not a good thing. So does that answer your question about being at the right hand? Yeah, it does. Thank you. That okay. was a lot of great information. Okay, I'm glad. Thanks a lot. Take mm-hmm. care. All right, bye-bye. Okay, before we go on, I want to uh, take a second to also greet our listeners on Hope FM. A really cool thing happening here at uh, Grace FM is that now uh, this show, Calvary Live, is being broadcast on the East Coast on Hope FM in uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. So I want to welcome everyone listening in um, on the East Coast, and we're blessed to be able to answer your calls and, and take your questions. The number, again, is 303-690-3000, and that will work for you on the East Coast as well. You can also text us here at 720-336-0897, wherever you are listening in the United States. You know, you can listen to us online all over the world, wherever you are. Uh, again, welcome on board to everyone listening on Hope FM. That's exciting. We have two open lines right now. And uh, the number to call, again, 303-690-3000. Text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go ahead and take uh, the call on line one. Hi, you're on the air. Hello. Is this Kurt? Okay, Kurt, I can't hear you, so I'm going to put you on hold. All right. So today was uh, Inauguration Day, and I just wanted to share with you guys a few thoughts on Inauguration Day as we wait for those lines to fill up, and feel free to text us in your questions as well. Um, But here's a few thoughts on Inauguration Day. You know, um, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, here's what he said. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, and especially for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, You know, just on this thought of what should we do as Christians on Inauguration Day, that's number one. We should be praying for those in power. Paul, uh, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, you know, you might remember that the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. And one of the things that they were told in Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, God tells the Israelites in, in exile, he says, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Another scripture to consider today is Romans chapter 13, verse 1, which says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And uh, Paul, of course, requested prayer in Ephesians chapter 2 for, quote, all the Lord's people, and specifically for himself, that he should speak the gospel boldly. So just another thought on Inauguration Day for us as Christians. You know, our Paul tells us in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven, and it's from there that we await our hope. And so what that means for us as Christians is that our primary identity, our primary allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom, and uh, that's our primary citizenship. 
And we have an interesting situation that we are dual citizens of whatever country we are citizens of. But that's what's amazing about the the body of Christ and the kingdom of God is that it's something which spans the globe and spans all cultures and nationalities. And so I'd like to take a second just right here at the beginning of the show still to say, let's just take a minute and pray for Donald Trump as our new president. And let's pray for our country as uh, the word invites us to and commands us to. So wherever you're at, just please pray with me. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. You can pray with your eyes open this time. So, Lord, we lift up our country to you, uh, especially now we see you know, turmoil and we see the division that's been caused by this election. And we know that some of that's justified. Maybe some of it is less justified in our opinions. But, Lord, we ask that you bring peace to our country. We pray, Lord, that this, would, this country would be a place where not only uh, there would be material prosperity, but we pray that it would be a country that is rich spiritually and that people know the gospel that people's hearts are taken hold of by the gospel. And we pray that many people in this country would come to know you. We pray that we would continue to have freedom in this country to preach the gospel and to teach the Bible and to invite people into a relationship with you. Lord, we pray for um, the weakest among us, the most vulnerable. We pray for the unborn and we pray for the immigrants. We pray for uh, the widows and the orphans. Lord, we know that you are the one who takes care of them, and we pray that you would spur your body, the body of Christ, to take care of them as well and to have your heart for the weakest among us. Lord, we pray for Donald Trump that you would guide him, that you would strengthen him, and that he would be a good leader for our country. So, Lord, we lift up our country to you and ask that you would bless it, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got Kurt again on line one. Let's go ahead and take his call. Hi, Kurt. You're on live. Awesome. Thank you. I got a quick question on Matthew 24, uh, starting with verse 27. It talks about uh, lightning comes from the east, from the west. Um, it's talking about, obviously, the rapture. But my question is, back down to 30, just a few verses later, he says, "Then the sign of the Son of the Man will appear in heaven, and uh, the Son of Man coming in the clouds in the heaven with powers and great glory. I'm trying to question is, is this one event or two events? Sounds like one's fast and one's slow. It's coming on the clouds is slower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've never really thought of this as two events. Um, this is this section is called the Olivet Discourse, and it's been a really uh, a section that a lot of people have had a hard time interpreting for a really long time. In fact, entire denominations and entire um, you know eschatological discourses meaning like old t- or end times uh, viewpoints are based upon different interpretations of this section and so when we do it we want to interpret these kind of things with a lot of charity for other people and uh, a lot of understanding for where they're coming from I think a few things are clear from this uh, it says that all people will see him uh, I think that's clear and you're saying down in verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. I mean, I got to tell you, I think that's still one event. Uh, a lot of times this is what will happen in the Bible is that something will be described in one way. And then it's almost like, you know, they hit the rewind button and then they describe the entire event again, but in more detail. So another example of this would be like in Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2, right? So Genesis 1, we have this account of the creation of the world, 
and it's uh, it gives us about all the different days that happen. And then Genesis two, it says, okay, and then this is how God created man, and it kind of gives us a more of a play by play of one of the specific parts of the creation story. So all that to say, I take this personally as referring to the same event. Okay. It's kind of confusing because up to 27, it says the Son of Man uh, is coming is flashing, uh, how does it say, from the east and flashes to the west. Mm-hmm. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So that tells me that's like lightning is fast, obviously. Mm-hmm. So who who can see lightning? So well, to me, it's two events. Okay. Is it, uh, my only question would be, is it saying that it's um, happening fast? Is that the point of it? Or is the point that it happens in one place, but it's seen very far away? I'm reading from the ESV right now. And the ESV puts it this way. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be with the coming of man. And so what that translation is emphasizing is that it happens in one place, but it's seen, you know, far and abroad. I see. I guess it has to do with the interpretation of the Bible and whose version you're looking at, I suppose. Well, you know, when we talk about it that way, you got to remember that there is one set of scriptures that we do trust, and that is the original text. And of course, you know, if you speak a foreign language, you know that there are several ways to translate any given text, um, you know, and, and still be faithful to that text. And so I think that's what the the Bible interpreters have tried to do. And I think that what they're pointing out, especially in this translation, the ESV, I can look up some others if you're interested, but um, the ESV at least is trying to make the point of distance, right? So it happens in one place but it's seen far and away. And I think that's still actually a very interesting point because, um, and I think that, you know, for an ancient person too, that would have been a a very effective way of explaining something which would have been very hard to comprehend. You know, like for example, if you're a guy who lives in Israel and I tell you that something's going to happen in Jerusalem, but you live a hundred miles away from Jerusalem in the north of Israel. And you're like, well, how am I going to see what happens in Jerusalem? You know, that's 100 miles away. And, and I said, well, hey, you, you've seen lightning that happens, you know, very far away in the sky, and it can be seen throughout the sky. That's how this is going to be, too. Personally, I, I think it's going to be, uh, it has to have some sort of supernatural element to it, because seriously, here in Colorado, if something happens in Jerusalem, I don't know how we're going to see it unless we see it on TV, right? Gotcha. So... Anyway, that's my interpretation of it. But you know what? It's one of those things where when it happens, you and me, we can go and have that conversation and we'll be like, man, I guess that's how it turned out, huh? Awesome. Sounds great. We thank you. Yeah. Thanks for your call. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Taking your calls live on the air. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For those of you up in that northern metro area, um, Boulder, Firestone, Longmont, up into uh, the northern metro area, we invite you to come and check us out. Our church name is Whitefields Community Church. We're a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church in Longmont. 
And uh, we have a show here on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 to 3 p.m. It's called Life in the Field, and those are just excerpts from our messages that uh, we have going on in our church on Sunday mornings. Uh, right now on Sunday mornings, we're teaching through the book of Exodus. So if there's any of you who would love to come and check us out, we would we'd love to meet you and have you join us. I uh, have a text that came in, so let's go over to our text line real quick. By the way, the number to text, if you uh, would like to text in a question, is 720-336-0897. The number to call is 303-690-3000. We have two open lines right now, so go ahead and uh, call us or text us whenever you're ready. The question that just came in uh, on the text line is this. Is Jesus a saint? Now, that gets uh, gets to an interesting question. Okay, so is Jesus a saint? Well, first of all, we need to define what a saint is. So the word saint comes from the word for holy in Latin. Okay, so the word for holy, is Jesus holy? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus is holy. He's the holiest of all. So in that sense, yes, he is a saint. Now, in the sense that the, the word saint has been used historically, meaning uh those who have gone before us in the faith, those who are, we consider them to be in heaven. Well, is Jesus in heaven? Absolutely, Jesus is in heaven. Um, so in that sense, does he qualify as a saint? Yeah, he's holy and he's in heaven and he went before us. So in all of these things, yes. The other thing to, to remember is that the Bible refers to us who are believers as saints because we have a status in Christ that we have been declared righteous because of what Jesus did for us. So even though we may still do things which are unrighteous, our status has been changed from unrighteous to righteous. It's been, you know, it's been drawn a line through or erased on the top of our paper that says, you know, here's the status of Nick Cady or whoever you are. Your status has been changed from uh, unrighteous or unholy, it's been changed to righteous and holy. So in that sense, the Bible refers to all those who are believers in Jesus, who have received the gift of eternal life and salvation. It refers to them as saints. So is Jesus a saint? Well, yes, in every every sense that we can think of it. The only difference between Jesus and us in this sense, if we're referring to saints, is that our status has been changed by him, by what he did for us, and his status has always remained unchanged. He has always been holy. Okay, the number to call is 303-690-3000, and the text line is 720-336-0897. We're going to go to Michael on line one. Hi, Michael, you're on the air. Hello, Pastor. This is the first time I've spoken to you. Great. Welcome. Um, I don't, I'll be brief. Last Sunday, I, I sat down with a pastor friend at my church, and we talked about some things that I've held, what I can, what I've held deep within dark secrets about myself, and that over the years, and I've never really told anybody about, because I've considered it just too, you know, made, it's made me too vulnerable. But I sat down with him and told him some things, and in my efforts to uh, knock down the um, 
those walls that uh, that have been placed up between myself and the Lord because I've never been able to make any headway as a Christian um, with with these things. And we're going to talk about some more things. I call them black. I call them dark rooms with locked doors. I opened up the door to that room and let, let and we let the light shine in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad I did because I feel. I hate going by feelings, but I, I, I feel like something's changed mm-hmm. um, within, and I've had a pretty good week since then because though that part of what I've been hiding and holding and onto and stuff has been taken away. Mm-hmm. But today, I've... Last night and today, it's been kind of a rough, rough, day in my mind and my um it just it's like my focus was not 100 percent on the lord and it, it's um it was like i was i want i, I want to be careful and say under attack but i i don't want to necessarily claim it claim that but it's like and earlier today, I had to I had to pray and ask God to to change, you know, to change that. You know, I gave it to Him to change to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something I should expect when I when I make bold moves as a Christian to do things that I know that need to be done? Well, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, I could give you plenty of examples from the Bible, not the least of which is you see Jesus Himself. After, you know, he has this glorious experience where he's um, baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove. And then the father speaks with this audible voice from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then what happens immediately after that? It says that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tested for a time. And so Jesus is tested really to his breaking point over the course of 40 days, Satan comes and tests Jesus and, and does attack him. He attacks him even with the word of God, trying to twist it and use it against him. And so, and of course Jesus doesn't uh, fall for it. He endures and he uses the word of God to answer, you know, Satan's wrong twisting of the word of God. But um, all that to say, yeah, absolutely. When you're doing what God wants you to do, we do have an enemy, an enemy of our souls. And so here's, a, here's one verse that came to mind while you were speaking. It's uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. If you have your radio on in the background, would you mind turning it down? Just because uh, I think we're getting some feedback. But, uh, it, is, I, I, it is down. I'm, I'm on speakerphone. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says this. Take, part in, take no part in the fruit, unfruitful works of darkness. I'll start over. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And the whole idea there, it says um, in verse 13 of that same chapter, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I think that what you're doing is very wise. You know, one of the metaphors that's used for sin in the Bible is mold. And, you know, one of the characteristics of mold is that it grows in the darkness. And so when you, if you want to kill mold, one of the ways you do it is you shine light on it. And so I just want to encourage you to keep doing that. 
And I want to encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about the spiritual armor that of God that you know defends you against the the attacks of the enemy. So if you we're going to go to break in just a minute if you would allow me to I'd love to pray for you. And uh, well before we before we pray I just want to say one thing this pat my pastor friend and I we're going to open up some more doors. There are some things I've never talked about talked to people about before and okay. he's the first one I've opened up to we're going to open up some more rooms and get some more and get some more light shining in there. That's great. We're going to break right now, so I'm going to put you on hold, and if you'd like, I can pray for you after the break. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is the show where we're taking your calls and prayer requests live on the air. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Call us with your questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus right now at 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here in studio today taking your calls and answering your Bible questions. We have one open line right now. If there's anyone out there who'd like to call in, the number to call is 303-690-3000. And the text line is 720-336-0897. Welcome also to those of you uh, who are on the East Coast, listening in New Jersey, Maryland, Pennsylvania, on Hope FM. Let's go back to line one. We had Michael before the break, and we were going to pray for him. Michael, are you there? Yeah, I'm still here, Pastor. Okay, Michael. I was saying, I was, I was saying very, very quickly, I'm— there's other door, other rooms, other doors that have to be opened. These, there are some areas in my life that have never been discussed with people, and we're gonna we're gonna open doors. I'm tired of the way I've lived and playing game with God, playing games with God, and I've come to the decision, in a spiritual sense, it's gonna be live or die. Either I'm gonna serve Him or I'm not, you know. And obviously, I do want to serve Him, so I would appreciate your prayers for what I'm, what I'm, what I'm dealing with and what I'm going to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Just read you one more scripture, you know, Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, it says this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And at those times when it feels like, you know, you're opening up some stuff in your life that you've been keeping secret for a while and you don't know if you'll be strong enough to do that. I want you to, I want to encourage you with this, that you can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, even when your might is not enough. So let's go ahead and all those listening, if you would please join me, let's pray for Michael. Lord, we thank you for Michael. We thank you for bringing him to this place in his life where he says, you know, enough is enough. Enough living a double life. Enough living in sin. I'm ready to put down my yes and say, yes, Lord, I'm ready to be all in for you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen Michael, as we read in this scripture, in the strength of your might, that he might be strong in you to face these things and to open these doors. Thank you also, Lord, for your, your word in Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about bringing the deeds of darkness into the light. And, and Lord, just like uh, a mold that grows in the darkness, that's what sin is like. And Lord, we just ask that you would burn that up with the light of your glory, burn up those, those sins, those secret things that have been going on in his life. And we pray that you would do that good work for your glory and for his good. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for God calling in. Talk, take care. 
Okay, we have another caller on line two. Again, this is Calvary Live, the show where we're taking your calls, your questions about the Bible, your prayer requests live in the studio. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Longmont, uh, from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont. And the number to call, we've got two open lines right now, is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. And the text line is 720-336-0897. We're going to go to Jose, actually calling from the East Coast. Uh, He has a question. So, Jose, are you here with us? Jose, are you there? All right, Jose, I'm going to put you back on hold. And maybe... Maybe he's just stepped away for a second. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, the number again to call is 303-690-3000. And the text line is 720-336-0897. We had a question texted in a few minutes ago. This is the question. It says, uh, hello, pastor. Is it okay to be interested in other cultures and traditions, like the Indian culture, for example, while you are a believer in Jesus? Well, I think the answer is, well, I'd say there's two two factors here. One of them is this, that there's nothing inherently wrong with being interested in a culture or a tradition from an informational point of view, seeking to be educated. In fact, it can actually be a very good thing if what you're, the reason you're seeking to be educated is so that you can understand another person who might be different than you, so that, for example, you could share with them the hope that you have in Jesus. Uh, being able to do that and speak into another person's culture is something that we see the Apostle Paul, for example, he was a master at. We see that throughout the uh, the book of Acts, you know, that he would go into places where there were people who had different culture, different background than him, but he was able to speak in a way, he was able to speak their language. And because he was able to speak their language, they were much more uh, receptive to the gospel because he was able to bridge those cultural gaps. So in that sense, yeah, it's very helpful especially as a Christian, to be able to understand uh, other cultures. The caveat I would give to that is this. I think that you also kind of have to know yourself. You have to know what your own personal weaknesses are. And if, for example, you know, you have a, a history with something like, I don't know, um, let's take Indian culture, for example. I, I take, you mean, a Native American culture. You know, if there's a part of you that is... Uh, you know, drawn towards the animistic worship of the Indian, the Native American Indian culture, and you know that that's a weakness for you, and that becoming too engrossed in studying that or in celebrating those things would be detrimental to you, well, then I think you need to be wise uh, about that. One of the I mentioned earlier that I am teaching through the book of Exodus on Sunday mornings at Whitefields Church in Longmont. And um, this coming Sunday, I am teaching through Exodus chapter 17 and 18. And uh, we're talking about some of the leadership lessons that we see in this section. And so we're, we'll be doing uh, the latter half of, of chapter 17 and the beginning of chapter 18. But I came across this interesting thought as I was going through Exodus chapter 17 that I thought was very applicable. You know, we see in this section some things that Moses does very well as a leader and then some other things that Moses does very poorly as a leader. For example, he's, he's a poor leader of his family. He's a poor delegator of tasks and things like that. But one of the things Moses does very well as a leader and, and something which all of us as Christians can afford to learn from is that it says that um, 
Moses, he went up on the hill to pray while Joshua was leading the troops into battle down in the valley. And it says that Moses, he goes up there to pray. And uh, as long as he's praying, right, so he's holding his hands up in the air and praying, which was the Jewish posture of prayer. They would hold their hands up in the air when they prayed. Um, It says that whenever he did that, the Israelites would prevail over the Amalekites. But whenever he stopped praying and put his hands down, the Amalekites would prevail. And so it says that he got so weary. I mean, you can imagine you're 80 years old and you're trying to hold your hands up, hold a you know staff over your head for hours because it says he did it from all day long and then until the sun set. And so you can imagine you would get very tired doing something like that. And so it says that he had actually, before he even uh, got tired, he had brought two men with him, Aaron and Hur, and their job was to hold up his hands so that he would be able to continue to pray. It says they put a stone underneath him so that he could sit on it, and then they held up his hands so that he would be able to uh, continue praying for the people down in the valley as the battle was going on. And I think that's a great example to say that uh, a godly person, a godly leader, should follow that example of Moses. Moses knew his own weaknesses. He knew that he wasn't going to be able to continue to hold that staff up uh, on his own. And so he brought these two men with him to be there for him and to help him with that. And so to the person writing this text message in here, that would just be my advice. It would be this. Of course, there's nothing wrong with being interested in information about other cultures, but know your yourself, know your own weaknesses and surround yourself with people who can give you accountability and who can who can check on you and you can talk about those things with and they can call you out on it people who you give the permission to speak into your life and say hey you know brother or sister i think you're i think you're getting a little too far into this you know for example with uh with indian culture whether it's native american or asian indian i'm not really sure which one you meant so if that answers your question we have free lines right now the number to call is 303-690-3000 that's 303-690-3000 and the text line is 720-336-0897. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I am filling in today, and I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is up in Longmont, Colorado. And for those of you in the area, up in that northern part of Colorado, we would love for it. it we would love it if you would come check us out. You can look at us online at whitefieldschurch.com, or you can visit us in person on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We meet in downtown Longmont at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. Uh, We've got a couple more text messages that have come in in the meantime and a couple callers too. Again, if you'd like to call, we have some lines available. The number is 303-690-3000. The text line is 720-336-0897. We have a, a text message that just came in from Dave. Dave says that he's needing some prayer support for his new job search. He'd like a job closer to home, and he's been searching since September. So let's join together as a family here of believers in Colorado and out on the East Coast and uh, pray for Dave. So, Lord, we we pray that you would open a door for Dave. Lord, we know that you lead us and guide us through uh, open doors, and you lead us and guide us through closed doors. And right now, Dave has faced a lot of closed doors. So, Lord, I pray you give him patience in this job search, and I pray that you'd open up some doors for him. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we've got a caller right now. We'll go to Liz on line one. Hi, Liz. This is Pastor Nick. Hi, Pastor Nick. Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. 
good. Um, what was that verse that you mentioned before you did the prayer for President Trump? What was that? Well, I mentioned a couple. So I'll tell you what they were. So the first verse okay. I mentioned was First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where Paul urges us to make prayers and petitions, intercessions and thanksgiving for all people, but especially for kings and those in authority. And that was Timothy what? That was First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4, okay. And then the other verse I quoted was uh, Jeremiah 29, 7, which where God tells the the children of Israel, while they're in exile in Babylon, to seek the peace and prosperity of the place where they live in exile. And then I quoted from uh, Romans chapter 13, which tells us to be subject to the governing authorities, knowing that God is the one who raises up and brings down those who are in authority. Okay. And what verse was that one? That was Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Verse 1. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Mm, bye. Right, bye-bye. Okay, we've got another caller, um, Lucy, on line two. Hi, Lucy, this is Pastor Nick. You're live on the air. Hi, Pastor Nick. My question is, how do I tell if the congregation that we're going to is Calvinist? Um, I'm, I'm uneasy because I've always gone to Calvary Chapel, and um, my husband wanted to go to this other church, and I'm kind of wondering about the doctrines. Some of the doctrines that they're teaching don't seem to line up. And since my husband wants to be the leader, I don't know how to say I can't do this mm -hmm. because it's it's not lining up and that's kind of undermining what I want to teach what I want to teach him. He's kind of a new Christian. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, first of all, I think if you want to know if you're pastor is a Calvinist, I think you should ask him. I think that's a, you know, I, I know that this happened uh, in our church. We had uh, my assistant pastor spoke one Sunday and um, I wasn't there, but I came back and some people told me, hey, do you know that your assistant pastor is this and this and that? And they were calling him all kinds of labels. And then I, I went over to my assistant pastor and said, hey, are you this label that they called you? And he said, of course not. You know, so I, it was it was that simple to resolve that problem. And so I think right. that's that's always the best first step. Go and talk to the pastor and uh, and discuss what these concerns you have are about the things that he's teaching. Um, my second question for you would be this. What exactly is he teaching that has you concerned? Um, we had a, a long Bible study about um, Mark chapter 13, where it talks, you know, it talks about the the end times where Jesus takes the apostles aside and he tells them about what's going to happen to the temple and what mm -hmm. it was a, you know, my, I was thrilled because I was hoping to get to talk to my sisters and my brothers about the rapture and, and everything that I've learned from Calvary Chapel for so many years. And I didn't believe that, that they thought all those, um, that entire passage had nothing more to do than with the fall of Israel and the temple by the Romans coming in and taking over. Yeah, and so that that position is called a preterist position, or it's sometimes called a more accurately called a partial preterist position. Is a preterist? Yeah. So what that means is this: a preterist position says that all the things, for example. 
what you're referring to there, where Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. And then they would also look at the book of Revelation, and they would say that what the book of Revelation and what, uh, like Matthew 24 and 25, and here uh, Mark chapter 13, what they're describing are things which all happened, as you correctly said, um, during the time of Titus, when Titus came into Jerusalem 70 AD, and he... Um, you know, desecrated the temple, and he did all kinds of things like that. So they would say that all of those things are referring to that. Now, the reason why they're called, more accurately, partial preterists is because a partial preterist says, okay, some of those things have happened historically already, but not all of them have because clearly, as a previous caller, we had a question about the return of Christ and uh, people seeing it. So a partial preterist would be one who says, okay, some of the things mentioned here have already happened. Uh, they happened after Jesus said them in 70 AD when Titus came in with the Roman troops, but not everything has happened because clearly Jesus hasn't come back. So right. a, a partial preterist view is still considered within the realm of Orthodox Christianity. Now, it might be different than your view, and, uh, and I think that's fine. I think that you, know, you should express your view and you should... Um, study up on it and you you know feel free to discuss it in your church and go and talk to your pastor about why he thinks the way he does now um i think that the the difficulty with a partial preterist view which i think that you clearly would agree with me on this is that there are so many things mixed into you know mark 13 and and matthew 24 and 25 and the book of revelation where we can say well clearly that hasn't happened yet Right. And so the reason why there are so many different views on this is because it's not cut and dry. So it, it is difficult. Yeah. You, you can imagine that a Jewish person in 70 AD seeing Titus and the Roman Legion come in would have thought that, man, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, and, you know, it's a much bigger discussion than we can get into here. Now, as far, yeah. as, far as whether or not he's a Calvinist, now, I'll just say this. Uh, there, you know, you have to define what a Calvinist is. So usually when, when you talk about what a Calvinist is, you're talking about soteriology, which means the doctrine of salvation, how a person comes to be saved and go to heaven. And so right. the Calvinists have five tenets about that, about what they believe about the nature of man, the nature of God's choice of a person, and all of you know how God chooses who he chooses and the doctrines of grace and things like that. Uh, and traditionally, a lot of Reformed theologians or Calvinists have also held a partial preterist viewpoint, but not okay. all of them. So you've yeah. got like uh, the John Pipers of the world who are... Um, you know, John Piper absolutely is a Calvinist, but yet, on the other hand, he's also a premillennial dispensationalist, which I, I hope I'm not using words that are uh, no, uh, I actually over anybody's. Yeah, and I, I'm not just thinking of you, though. I'm thinking of our other listeners. And I, I want to make sure that I'm not speaking over anybody's head. So meaning that they believe in the rapture, they believe in, um, you know, that a lot, most of what's written in Revelation and um and the Olivet Discourse are things which have not happened yet. And so um, so before before you say, you know, I'm worried that my pastor's a Calvinist, I think, first of all, go talk to him. Secondly, yeah. it sounds like, um, you know, who he may or may not be a Calvinist. It just sounds like he's a partial preterist. And if that's 
uh, something that's so important to you that you say, you know, I don't really want to go to a church where the pastor is teaching preterism, then I think that's your prerogative. Uh, but I would go and talk to him about it, and uh, I would start there. So Okay. That's good advice. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, you bet. Thanks a lot for calling in. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Pastor Nick Cady. We've got 10 minutes left on Calvary Live. And the number to call, we've got three open lines right now. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. The text line is 720-336-0897. We do have a couple of text messages that have come in. So I'll go to those right now. Um, oh, where is it? Had a really good one. Okay, here we go. This is, a, this is an interesting question. We have someone who, call, who, who texted us and asked, could I give them some background information on 1 John chapter 5, verse 7? Because in the King James Version, it seems to be an awesome affirmation of the Trinity and the deity of Christ. However, it's not found in any other translation I've seen. And I'm wary about sharing this verse with Jehovah's Witnesses and others if it's not in the original text. So let's go ahead. I'm going to look up what that verse says in the King James Version, and then we're going to look it up in uh, some other versions so that we can see what he's referring to. I uh, recently graduated from uh, seminary, and one of the uh, things that I did in seminary was I learned Greek. And one of the things that we did in the Greek class was we we learned Greek first, and then we translated First John. And one of the reasons we translated First John was for this very reason: was because there is this verse, one John or First John five verse seven, which uh, there seems to be a discrepancy in some of the Bible translations. So here's here's what it says in the King James, the Old King James version: There are three that bear record in heaven: the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And so yes, as our uh, texture is saying that seems to be an awesome affirmation of the Trinity. Almost seems to be irrefutable information, you know, proof of the Trinity. But then you go over to another translation. Now I'm looking at the ESV, and here's what the ESV says: It says, "For there are three that testify: the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree." Okay, so why is there a difference? I'm going to read to you from a book that's called uh, When Critics Ask, and it just basically deals with, you know, what are some of the hard questions in the Bible and how do we make sense of them? So here, here's what it says about 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Why is this verse on the Trinity missing in many modern translations? And the problem is exactly how we said. The solution, he says, is this. He says the reason is, is actually very simple. This verse has virtually no support among the early Greek manuscripts, but it is found in the Latin manuscripts. Its appearance in late Greek manuscripts is based on the fact that Erasmus was placed under ecclesiastical, meaning church, pressure to include it in his Greek New Testament of 1522, having omitted it in his earlier editions of 1516 and 1519 because he could not find any Greek manuscripts. It's included in the Latin Bible, probably uh, resulting from a scribe incorporating a marginal comment, meaning like a, a commentary, basically, into the text as he copied the manuscript of First John. And, and really, that's what uh, I learned doing this Greek class as well, is that it's not found in the 
oldest manuscripts, and that's uh, what a lot of the translations are using. They're trying to be faithful to the oldest manuscripts, and they're considering the majority of manuscripts. And so the later manuscripts, we have this, this inclusion of this verse, which we now find in the King James Version, which talks about the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. But if you look at most of the Greek manuscripts, they don't say that. They do say what is found in almost every other translation, which is the Spirit and the water and the blood. These three agree, or these three are one. And the explanation is that what we have there is an interpretation, meaning that where it says the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, in the other translations where it says the Spirit, the water, and the blood, in other words, a person who is reading this believed that the Spirit, the water, and blood was a reference to the Trinity. And I think that that is absolutely correct as well, that it is an it is referring to the Trinity. Just that person said, well, I can make this really clear for everybody, and I'm just going to say the Father, the Word, meaning Jesus, and the Spirit. So I hope that answers your question. As to whether or not that's a good verse to use when talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, the reason you would be talking to them about it is because you want to answer the question of whether or not Jesus is God. I would say that uh, you could do that, but I wouldn't use the King James Version to do it. I would use another translation, and I would do the work, uh, the, the study and the work to put into it to show how the water, the Spirit, and the blood are a reference to the Trinity. And so I hope that helps you. I think there are plenty of other scriptures, though, that you could turn to as proof for the Trinity. We've got only a couple minutes left, but we've got a caller on line one, so we're going to go to Bess calling from Greeley. Hi, Bess. You're on the air with Pastor Nick. Hi, Pastor Nick. I just had a quick question. My husband and I were looking through the chronological order of the Bible uh, last night, and we were a bit confused. Noticed that Job actually was pretty early in Genesis, and we were kind of confused about um, like how he came to know God without necessarily being of Israel. Mm-hmm. So okay. if you could kind of address that. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. Okay, so the, the thing about Job is, the question is, when did Job live? Okay, so um, what you have in Genesis, there, there are some different theories about how Genesis came to be. Now, one of the theories about Genesis is that um, Moses wrote it down just based on what God told him, right? Meaning the first 11 chapters of Genesis in particular are called um, primeval history, meaning, you know, that prehistoric history. I mean, that, that's the origin of the world up until, you know, going through the flood and then going up until Abraham. You notice from chapter 12, the focus of the story stops being on the origin of everything. And then this, the, the focus of the book from Genesis 12 on becomes the focus on this one family. God calls out Abraham and, and plans to bless the whole world through him. So all that to say that the question is, how did Moses write it? A lot of people believe that he also... Uh, another way that this could have happened is that there were people taking records throughout that time up until Abraham and up until that time, and they passed down those um, those things that they wrote down, and that Moses used that as the basis, of course, still under the inspiration of God, but for the basis of how he wrote the first 11 chapters of Genesis. All that to say this, that the story the Bible tells is that the very first people who lived, Adam and Eve, knew God and believed in God. And that's very important because we call this anthropology, right? Like the study of man and the study of culture. 
And so a lot of what, you know, anthropology says in a secular sense, meaning people who don't necessarily believe the Bible, who don't want to base things on the Bible, what they would say in a secular sense is this, that people over time discovered God or came up with God or came to know God. Um, but, you know, originally we were just cavemen who drew on walls and worshipped everything. The Bible actually gives a very different story. The Bible says that, no, 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 from the beginning we were intelligent and we knew God and walked with God. And then when we sinned, it caused us to devolve, so to say, away from knowing God and actually away from God. And what that means is that the very first people knew God. Okay, so what that means is that there was some knowledge of God, and, and that's really what the first couple chapters of Genesis chronicles, is that in every generation there were some people who knew God and who passed that knowledge of God on, even though a lot of other people turned away from God. So what that leaves us with, with uh, a person like Job, Job lived within that first 11 chapters of Genesis. He probably lived before Abraham, and he was a man who knew God and who walked with God. And, uh, and so that, I think that's actually really important that we understand that, that we, we haven't evolved to the point of believing in God. In fact, we started out believing in God, and we've devolved away from believing in God. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very interesting. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's awesome that you guys are reading the Bible and studying. Keep that up. i got to let you go because we're finishing up. God bless. All right, thank you, Tom. Okay, you've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Longmont, Colorado, from Whitefields Community Church. Thank you for your calls and texts today, and we'll be back with you again next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.